I feel at home here. I started in a hall like this back in Fairfield Hamilton. The church on River Road had decided it was time to expand all the new housing that was going on in the Fairfield area. And they bought an old farmhouse, probably built in the 1920s, and knocked out some of the inside walls. The roof still stood up, and a church was held there, and then expanding into the, the school hall next door. Very much the same shape as this. Time came when uh, I'd saved up enough to buy a reel-to-reel -reel tape recorder. And a local electrician managed to bypass the, uh, the reels so we could use the, the amplifier in it. And uh, with a little speaker, we had a room at the back for mothers and children, and there were lots of them. And by the way, that wasn't yesterday. <laughs> it was 1958. So I praise God to be part of the, the service here this morning. And in this context where we are indeed already experiencing the presence of God and looking for him to move in our midst as we've just been singing. We've had two readings, miracle readings. The, the Shunammite woman and, and her son, a gift to her that she hadn't asked for. Then the child's death and that remarkable story of Elisha bringing God's healing to her. And then there's the other story that we'll get to in a moment or two. The centurion and his, uh, his servant. <laughs> so miracles are clearly pretty important in what we're looking at again this morning. And this is a subject that uh, is close to my heart. And I ask, what do you think about miracles? And have you run across any miracles lately? You know, miracles, we tend to think, are, are just magnificent, big things, like the two that we've read about this morning. But is it possible that there's smaller miracles around that we, we don't sort of acknowledge? A couple of weeks ago, I found that my stove had a switch on at the back that would turn, but it was split, and so it didn't actually turn the column that was underneath it. Some bright spark suggested, well, maybe you've got an element that doesn't work, you can, that you don't use very much. You could take the switch off that and put it on the one that you uh, want. Well, that's a temporary fix. But I suddenly thought to myself, well, 20 years ago when we moved into my, uh, what had been my parents' house, we did a number of renovations, and I discovered somewhere down in Mount Wellington there was uh, an electrical shop that I'd been to several times, so I took off in that direction. And I moved slowly down this road, uh, off the main highway there. Fortunately, there wasn't much banking up behind me, but I was able to look at the different stores 
and I got to the end and found it was a blind road and I hadn't come across the shop I was looking for. And I turned around and thought, I'll go home. Uh, forget about it. And then I thought, don't be stupid. Why don't you ask somebody? No, I'm not going to ask anybody. Why don't you? And, and there's, a car, there's a park, there was only one space. Everybody, the whole side of the street was parked up. So I stopped there and I saw a couple of men talking uh, and the, they were talking beside a whole lot of lawnmowers. One man in a uh, uh, overalls, clearly was, that was his job. So I waited for a moment <clears throat> until these men separated and then I moved over and said, look, I'm looking for that electrician that used to be in the street here. And he said, oh, no, no, that's a, <clears throat> another street. It's not this one. I'll tell you where to go. And I fished out this plug out of my pocket and said, this is what I'm looking for. And he said, ah, look, that roll-down door next to me, which was shut, <clears throat> that, that had them there, but it's shut. Oh, look, here's the, uh, the owner's daughter driving up. So I waited and <clears throat> there was no signage on any of these, uh, these sheds. Uh, she rolls up the door and said, yeah. And in there, there's three or four old stoves and she whips off a half a dozen uh, of these plugs, pours them into my hand. And when I said, how much? She said, no. Well, I just felt real joy. I thought that's a miracle. Uh, you don't have to have big miracles. Let's acknowledge these little ones. I mean, there could be another explanation. I mean, this didn't happen to happen to me because I'm a Christian could happen to anybody. But I thank God for that. I felt so joyful. Uh, and there it is, I've got five spares. <laughs> <laughs> and the next morning I, I woke up and I was still joyful and I thought, look, I've got a lawnmower under the house. I haven't used it for 10 years. And it was a jolly good lawnmower. So I popped it in the car and I, I took it back and that lawnmower man was still there. And it, Looks as if it was pretty small time, you know, as I say, no signage or anything. I said, would you like a mower? I hadn't used it for a while. He said, yeah, bring it round sometime. I said, no, it's in the car. So he lifted it out and he looked at it and said, oh, those fly-mo motors, they were good. There you go. Um, maybe sometimes we don't acknowledge the fact that, that God is involved in the small things as well as in the big things. No one was healed or converted in, in that experience. And that's, I suppose, what I've had in the back of my mind. It involves a miracle, God doing something really dramatic that changes the world. Maybe the thanking God is one of the really important things when it comes to miracles. It's not part of our story today, but there were the ten lepers that came to Jesus. And Jesus healed them, sent them off to the priests to report and uh, have it officially confirmed or whatever they needed to do. But how many came back? There was one, wasn't there, that came back and gave thanks. He turned around and came back. And turning around is what repentance is all about. He turned around and gave thanks, and that one had had his life changed. The others had got healed and carried on as they had before from 
or you, you could expect. But that man became a Jesus person. I was up at the lights in Remuera Road a week or so ago, and I looked at the flashing sign outside uh, it's St Aidan's Church there, and it, said, it had a quote from Rick Warren, you're as close to God as you choose to be. Well, that's good. Good on the Anglicans. I don't know how many of you came to Alan Bottomley's funeral not so long ago. I was in the foyer there beforehand and people were crushing in. It was a wonderful, uh, a wonderful experience of the presence of God. But somebody said, hey, Graham, and they came over toward me. It was uh, Ian Graham, Ian and Diana. And I'm just about going to um, fog up when I talk about this, but Ian said, Diana hasn't got Parkinson's anymore. I know about Parkinson's. We lived with it for 10 years. It doesn't go away. They'd had two, and I have his permission to mention this. They'd had two uh, neurologists, one of them we knew. They'd just been to a new person, and it's not there. And Ian, and I must let him tell his story when he chooses to do so, but he's wrestling with what this means. Facing this for these six, the last six or seven years, and now things are different. Where they live may be different. So much. There's a 5% chance that the original diagnosis was not correct. But they're able to give thanks. In RSV, I found a page at the back that I hadn't noticed before, and it's a list of miracles, of Jesus' miracles. There's 32 of them there. Is it possible for miracles to really fit into today's world? It's, it's not easy. Something happened in the history of uh, humanity back in the 14 and 15 and 1600s, there were wonderful discoveries being made about God's world, scientific discoveries. Galileo and, and the rest of them. He discovered that the universe doesn't revolve around the world. It revolves around the sun. But there were Christians who fought this because They'd understood the Bible in a different way. There were Christians who'd understood the Bible as being the world being flat. And so they, they challenged anybody that came up with new discoveries about the way God had created the world. But in that process, miracles came under close scrutiny. And people thought, ah, oh, science is explaining everything. 
uh, that's what uh, the Enlightenment meant for some. It even slipped through into the church, into the Christian church. And earlier last century, there was a movement to demythologize the Bible and to take the miracles out and just stick with the teaching of Jesus. Pretty well the Greek thought that it's philosophy that's important. When I did my theological training, this, there was very much uh, that in the minds, not of our professors who were of the old school, but of people who were, were, were reading and, and talking and thinking. And it's true that churchgoers, Christians, can still be wrestling with this today. Saying the creed, saying the Lord's Prayer, but at the same time having real, real problems with the fact that, that God is really acting in his world still. Could be described as double-mindedness. And James, in his letter, really cautions us about double-mindedness because it really messes up faith. The discoveries that have been revealed about God's creation are important and we're blessed by them. And this is extra praise, extra opportunity for us to praise God. And many scientists, as we well know, are Christian. It's even suggested that a majority are. But there still persists in education and in media the myth that God and the world that we live in have nothing to do with each other. God created our world. He created the whole universe. And that is miracle. Miracle number one. And miracle, God has stayed in touch with his creation. And miracle that God has sent his son, his only son, into the world, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And it is miracle that God raised Jesus from the tomb and then after some weeks called him back to glory to share in the Godhead. And miracle that Jesus and the Father send the Holy Spirit to live in those who accept Jesus as Lord. And it is miracle that God continues to act according to his word in our midst. Along with that, it must be acknowledged that secular reason does some things well, and we can thank God for that. But it has its limits. It has its limits in dealing with life's most important questions, Questions like, why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? What's the meaning of life? And so the centurion. There's a centurion that comes to Jesus, begging that Jesus would do something for his sick servant. Now that's amazing. The centurion an officer in the Roman army has not been hardened 
by that experience of soldiering. You're as close to God as you choose to be, Rick Warren says. The soldier has clearly heard about Jesus. He must be feeling that perhaps Jesus has the key to real living. And what he feels, although it's not mentioned on this occasion, it's clear that he feels a compassion for his servant. Quite extraordinary, really, in, in that sort of context. And time and time again, we read how Jesus felt compassion. And when Jesus, it says Jesus feels compassion, he reaches out and touches somebody. It's Elisha. Back to Elisha. He feels compassion for the Shunammite woman. First of all, that she hasn't had a child, and he prays to God, and she has this child. Later, he feels the same compassion when the child dies. And it seems that compassion is a prompt that God uses. He used then and he uses in our hearts. When we come into a situation of grief and sadness and hopelessness, and somehow our hearts just go out into the situation, we maybe throw our arms around the person. And then we are aware of the grace of God and of his mercy and of his power, his miracle working power. And maybe we do more than that. We, we pray, we gather others and we pray in the situation. And there's the moment when we say, look, there's nothing I can do here, God. God, help, help. And compassion is there. When Jesus entered Capernaum, there was this centurion who appealed to him. He came to Jesus. And what we find in the situation and Jesus highlights this, this faith. He approaches Jesus because he has confidence that Jesus has the answer to the situation. He appreciates the authority that Jesus has. He sees that. Quite remarkable that he should see that Jesus, this ordinary person looking no different from anybody else, that he is a man of authority. And he makes a little speech about that and says to Jesus, only speak the word and that will do the job. Speak the word. Takes us right back to the first, the first chapter of the Bible where God speaks and it happens. Doesn't say that God mixed up this brew or God did that or whatever or God said things. God, yes, indeed, God said something. God spoke. And here, in the name and in the power of God, Jesus speaks. In Genesis, God said, let the waters be gathered together. And it was so. And God said, let there be lights. He said it, and it happened. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And it was so. And this centurion recognises that here is a man 
who speaks, and when he speaks, he speaks with the authority of God. The centurion is demonstrating what's called faith. No one in Israel have I found such faith. And it's quite clear that miracles and faith go together. But what is so important is that faith isn't something that we've got in our pocket that we have to sort of pump up like a balloon and then a miracle or something grand is going to happen. Faith is about our recognizing the power and the authority of God and the love of God demonstrated in Jesus and in so many uh, ways through him. Faith mediates this power of God into the situation. God's gifts are received by faith. By, by that pipeline of faith. And God's gifts are waiting to be received in that way. Our connection with God is through faith. We don't have to go around pumping it up. It's all to do with connecting with that power, that grace of God. And we had just a couple of verses read from Hebrews Hebrews 11, and it goes on. All the blessings received by those Old Testament characters because they had their eyes focused on God and they were absolutely convinced that God would come through. They believed what God had said by faith Abraham and all the rest of them. And the whole of the scripture as I understand it, is about miracle. The healing of the centurion servant isn't some sort of extra to God's message because God is with us. God is active all the time. God is available. There are miracles everywhere. But God is sovereign. God is the one who is in control. God has the big plan. God is not in my pocket to jump when I say so. Miracles are not something that we achieve. They don't happen to order. They're God's beautiful surprises. Little surprises and big surprises. God's encouragements. God isn't a theory. God isn't a proposition. Almighty God. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is living and active. And God is doing what God has always done, giving abundant life to those who will receive him. We can't summon God, but we can make ourselves available and open to him and feast our eyes upon him and be sustained through faith on a regular basis in our daily prayers in our scripture reading and our now gathering together as we are doing now or in small groups and all this makes prayer exciting knowing that God hears our call 
and that he responds according to his love and grace, knowing what is best for us and for his creation. Let us encourage each other to cultivate, to cultivate an attitude of being expectant, being open and waiting for God's response, hearing a testimony such as we did earlier from Russell. What a privilege it is to gather here this morning in the Fellowship of Believers to sing, as we've just been singing, God, our miracle worker. And we know that God has our ultimate good at heart. And more than just our ultimate good, the ultimate good of all creation. And that's why God's answers aren't always what I would have looked for. Which makes us think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest and crucifixion. He's crying out, Master, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That's the short-term view. And yet not what I want, but what you want. Making it clear that he's accepting God's bigger, bigger plan. Because the awful cross was there. God didn't produce the cross, but it was there. And it was God's will that his son Jesus should face it and triumph over it with all the evil that it represented. And that through trusting God in faith, the power of evil would be defeated, offering salvation to all. And we read of Paul. Paul's message time and again is accompanied by signs and wonders, dramatic healings. But Paul is suffering. He's struggling, he's beaten. At least twice he's left for dead, stoned by the locals. Miracles don't happen just because we're looking for something special. We don't feast on them. We feast on God's word. But God accompanies these things. He accompanies his word with signs and blessings. I want to be part of a church, and I believe I am part of a church, where God is a miracle-working God. Part of a church where we set no limits on God. A church that is eagerly waiting for God to do whatever he will do in our midst any minute. Because we know that unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain build it and God does and will confirm his word by the signs that accompany it Hebrews 2 the message declared at first through the Lord was attested to us by those who heard him while God added his testimony added to his testimony by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will we don't live for miracles. We live for God, who created the world out of nothing. The God who is moving in our midst. The God who is working in this place. The God who is turning lives around. But there's one footnote here, and it is on this question of faith. 
I've heard it said, I can't put a, a, a finger on it, but if you've got enough faith, you'll be healed. We can't lay that burden on people. There's no reason to do so. And what you notice here is it's the centurion that's got the faith, not the sick person. He may have had some faith too, but it's the others. Years ago, I shared with some people, and this lady was wonderfully delivered from depression. This was following all the ECT treatments that she'd had. And after a service of anointing and the laying on of hands, in a very short time, this had all passed and there was a new life for this couple. And people, of course, noticed this and said to her, you must have had great faith. And she said, her reply was, no, I had no faith at all. I was too sick. It was the faith of her husband and those who gathered that God used in, in that situation. Talking with Ian and Graham, who I mentioned earlier about the Parkinson's, I found their phone number in one of our old directories and gave them a call a couple of days later. And it had only just come back to their minds that after church six or seven years ago at morning tea, they had shared with one or two the grief that they were experiencing at this diagnosis. And it came up over morning tea, well then, why don't we go back into the church and pray? And there was oil in the uh, lectern there. There was anointing in the laying on of hands. There was probably 20, 30, 40 minutes that was spent just quietly at the front. And surprisingly, this is something that had slipped from their minds and at this point remembering and that over the years God had been working through that experience and through the prayers of so many others. And so this morning as we come to move on with the service I think it's important that we don't just talk about what God has done and what God is able to do, but that we actually do it. John Wimber, when he came to New Zealand a number of years ago to speak uh, about God's action in their lives in, the, in California, in the new uh, wave of God's spirit, said he'd been introduced to Christian faith through a home group. He attended a home group for quite some uh, months and then eventually these people took him to church. And when he, he said church was just quite unfamiliar, there was nowhere to put your cigarette butts. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, he said to the couple afterwards, when do you do it? And they said, uh, what do you mean? He said, well, when do you actually pray with people? He said, oh no, we just talk about it, we don't do it. Bill and uh, 
and Robin are on prayer this morning. And so people who feel that, yeah, well, I'm going to the doctor this week, so, gee, why don't I have some prayer? They're available. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. Amen. Amen.